0: Taste and see, it's late, hungry, gotta eat, keys, leave, start engine, gone, now here, drive through, need a number one of each. Hangry is a real thing, taste and see. Back home, diving, first bite, been waiting all night, But bland, yuck, what are you serious? Where's the salt? Got my own cabinet, reach for it, lights out. Oh no, now what I have purchased I can't enjoy, nor can it be seen, what a tragedy. Taste and see. Believers, you've been there, right? About to enjoy the greatest meal known to man, then oh man, there goes the lights right before you could even have a bite. That has to be the most horrible of nights, but one you presume you can endure till morning when salt you find time sunshine. Fine until can't find a nighttime besides to stay for a lifetime. Believer, would you mind spending the rest of your life hungry and blind? Taste and see. But you can't, because the salt's not there which means flavor's not there, which means greatest meal known to man gone bland. Salt also preserves, which means greatest meal known to man gone bad. God, not fair. Then bad gets worse. Wanna trash but can't see it. Lights don't work, so if night don't move, you can't either take a safe step you can't either get fully dressed you can't either locate the sink you can't either want to brush teeth you can't either home now dark as night about to lose your mind because food you don't have in sight you can't find taste and see what our world is truly like when salt and light believers refuse to be yeah taste and see Now what happens when salt and light are present? What a present. Lights off, switched on. Darkness can't stand it. The seeker can now find salt shaker and cabinet, meaning the meal can now come alive where once life was absent. Salt and light, what a tandem. The power of preservation and ability to head in right direction. True, flavorful sensation, pure, graceful illumination for all who accept believers position in the bad so good news can manifest. That's God's grace, a meal blessed. That's lighthouse house for ship's wrecks. That's Pierre. You got all that because salt was missing from the meal you purchased this evening? Yep, you bet. Taste and see, taste and see.
1: that was that was so awesome, and it 's so fitting for the message i 'm going to give today i mean i can 't wait till you see how this fits with that spoken word piece you did uh, great job and uh wow that that's it's Ruth said it was serendipitous, and I, I think that's that 's exactly right. My name is dan kent i 'm a teaching pastor here at Woodland Hills, although you know, let's be honest. I'm really more of a learning pastor. Uh, I, I seem to learn more here than I, I teach, probably. Um, but this is the first time I've uh, done a, a sermon here without the worship, and it's a couple things. One, it's it's hard to like get into the same fire. Like when you have worship here, you come up onto the stage and you're ready to preach, and you've got this fire that that you just don't have without the worship, and uh, and it's so vacuous up here. And so, don't be surprised. If you see a tumbleweed blown around back here, it's just, it's COVID. That's, that's what it is. Uh, we are in the series on salt and light from Matthew, uh, and it's such a great series, and it's funny, like, everybody wanted to be a part of this series, and we had pastors just emerging out of nowhere saying, I want to be a part of this, and... Banging on the windows to get in, and, and climbing in through the ceiling tiles because everybody wanted to be a part of the series, and me too because the salt and light—it's such a a great metaphor, and there's so much richness and so much depth there, and I'm I'm very honored to be a, a part of it, and I get to close off the series. I'm I'm putting hopefully putting a nice little bow on it at the end, and uh, but but what we're looking at is we're looking at Matthew chapter five, verses thirteen through sixteen. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, um, because we've kind of covered it already, and I need to get to my stuff, because I want to keep this as uh, concise as possible. Um, But in this passage, Jesus calls us to be the salt of the earth and the light to the world. And, And so you know, we've seen a lot of kind of richness already drawn from this text. And there's so much more that we could explore. That's how rich this text is. Uh, Tara Beth talked about how God has always wanted us to be salt and light. And Greg showed us how salt as a preservative has been understood over the years in in different ways. And I really appreciated what Greg said, that what salt is supposed to preserve uh, more than anything is our unsurpassable worth based on the unsurpassable love of God. And I think that's exactly right. What I want to do with my uh, episode in this series is I want to get real practical with salt and light. I want to look at uh, salt and light like on a moment-to-moment, day-to-day sort of level. Uh, I want to look at How do we make salt and light be part of our heart and part of our psyche in the deepest place? Because I think when Jesus calls us to be salt and light, I think he's answering an important question that we all, well, we all answer. We might not all explicitly ask it, but we all answer it. And the question is, how should I be in the world how should I be in the world? And if we don't like, reflect on that question, if we don't explicitly ask that question and think about it, we will answer it. And mostly we will inherit that answer from our context. Uh, we will inherit it from the world. And and that's, you know, fine. I'm sure that, you know, we will be in the world as, you know, practical people and pragmatic and and civil. And those are all good things. But I think that God's call to be salt and light is an opportunity to be, uh, an opportunity to be so much more than just practical, pragmatic, or civil. Um, A couple things about this uh, before I go into my, my message. The first thing is that, notice that when God calls us to be salt and light, it's assuming a couple things. Number one, that the world as it is doesn't taste the way that God wants it to taste. That's why he needs us to be salt. And God considers the world as it currently is darkness. That's why he needs us to be light. If reality was exactly the way that God wanted it to be, the way that God designed it, then he wouldn't need us to be salt and light. Um, The world is dark and the world is saltless and we know this. I mean, it's evil and there's uh, ugliness and wickedness and suffering and, you know, especially now that we're connected with the world, we see so often and it's just this constant deluge of of images of how clever and how uh, motivated we seem to be to oppress others and to leverage others uh, for ourselves. And uh, in life in this dark and saltless place, it can really kind of knock you around, you know? It, it, your heart kind of turns into this like pinball in this kind of dark pinball game. Um, I don't know if that all works, but it seemed to make sense when I said it. But what works, though, is Jesus' view of the world that we are born into and that we are raised in. Jesus, uh, in, in Matthew 9:36, Matthew records this: When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That is why God calls us to be salt and light so that we can help each other out of darkness, so that we can offer hope that there is a shepherd. I like what uh, David writes in Psalm 34, eight. He says, and Pierre, this is where the serendipity really kicks in full blast. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Isn't that a great verse? It's so beautiful, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now that assumes again that um, David doesn't think that the world seems to suggest that the Lord is good. Uh, It doesn't taste like the Lord is good. That's why we're called to to help with that. The second thing is that he doesn't just say see that the Lord is good. He says taste that the Lord is good. There's a deeper experience that David is getting at that we can experience the Lord's goodness on a deeper level than just this cognitive, rational, or visual level. There's a a deeper experiences of the Lord's goodness that David is starting to kind of hint at. And I think that this, is the vocation. Greg talked about salt and light being a vocation that we have. And, and I think that's what it is. It's our vocation or our career that God gives us. He has blessed us to bless others, uh, Greg said. Uh, but what the job is, is, it's to bring God's goodness out of a world that so often doesn't taste neither good nor godly. That's our job. It's to bring God's goodness out of the world that doesn't taste good or godly. And we do this with our lives themselves, like who we are is the salt and the light. It's our character, it's our personality, uh, it, it's, it's our spirit, it's our presence in the room that is salt and light. It, it's, it's when we're around other people, we elicit good ambitions from them, and we, we dampen or discourage evil uh, intentions. Um. It's our presence that does this. It's who we are. We are salt and light. And, and I'm sure that you know people like this. I, I've known people like this uh, who, when you're in the room with them, and you, when you're with them, you just, you want to be a better person. You know? You want to be good. And uh, you want to be more godly. That's what salt and light does. In relationship, is it helps people and it motivates people to be better people. Um, you know, my youth pastor, Steve Crane, was like that. He uh, he used to have all these strangers over on Thanksgiving and people who didn't have any place else to go. And so every year at Thanksgiving, uh, you never know who was gonna be there. And, uh, and all of these people from all these different paths of life, they would come to Steve's table and they all wanted to be better people when they were with Steve. And, and that's what salt and light is like. That's our vocation is to bring that effect to the world and so the question is is how do we become these types of people, these types of salt and light people and you know there's a thousand things to say about that that 's what discipleship is. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to look at three principles today. the first principle is that if we 're going to be salt and light, we have to maintain an other orientedness in our salt and light and i 'm going to confess something before I get to my point on, on this. Uh, My first kind of foray or my first exploration into spirituality, uh, it it was not other oriented. (laughs) I was in junior high and I was at the library in in the school and I found this book on meditation and I checked it out and you have to realize that I'm the last person in the world who should be getting a book on meditation. I mean, this is just a strange thing um, because, you know, I was a total troublemaker. I was a class clown. I skipped school. I was in detention all the time. I had my own spot in detention and I, just not the meditated type. And so that should be a red flag right away. Like, what's this kid up to? Well, what I was up to was that when you when you see this book, and I wish I still had a picture of it, but there's this, this monk or, or something and he was sitting in this yoga pose with his, his legs crossed and, and he was just sitting there and there was no shadow under him and there was no line where the floor meets the wall. It was just all white. And so I drew the rational conclusion that if you meditate, you can levitate because that's what it looked like. This guy's levitating. And I thought right away it all clicked. Of course you can levitate when you meditate. Why else would these people spend hours sitting in silence if you couldn't levitate? And so I checked the book out thinking that I'm going to learn how to levitate. This is awesome. And I just got done watching Star Wars, and and Yoda could do it, and doggone it, I can do it too. And I checked the book out, and of course, three or four pages in, I realized, Dan, you can't levitate. What were you thinking? Of course you can't levitate. And uh, so I, I returned the book. And Although the meditation probably would have been good for young Dan, if I can be totally honest. But that is a very self-oriented sort of spiritual pursuit. I was looking for this spiritual state for myself so that I could levitate and I could get this advantage. Being salt and light that Jesus calls us to is totally other oriented. It's not about me. It's not even about believers and it's not even really about my church. Really being salt and light is for others. It's for non-believers. It's for the unchurched. Uh, that's, that's, that's why Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. You are the light to the world. It's not about my own spiritual state. The body of Christ really is the only major organization that I know of that's primarily focused with its non-members. It's primarily focused with its non-members. Salt and light is exactly that. Um, and really, even when you think of salt and light, literally, they both are other-oriented. I mean, salt, the power of salt is in how it makes other things taste. Uh, you don't eat a spoonful of salt. That's disgusting. It's gross. What you do is you put it on food. And, and because salt doesn't taste good on its own, but it makes other things taste good. In fact, a lot of times we take salt for granted. We don't even think about the salt when we're eating the food. That's why it can be dangerous because we, we don't even know where it's there. Uh, Paul Eddy said this, uh, I think he captured it well earlier this week. He said, you know, when you're at the Thanksgiving table, nobody ever says, you know, the salt on this food is really good. You don't say that because you don't even notice the salt. You just think the food tastes good. You notice it when it's not there, but you don't really notice the salt. Um, And so salt is really how we make other people feel and how we love other people. Salt brings out the flavor in something else. Does salt bring out the bad flavor in food? Well, no, of course not. It brings out the good flavor. And so being salt to the earth means that we also bring out the good flavor in those we connect with. Light is the same. In the same way that you don't really notice the salt, you just notice its good effects, you also don't really see light. You just see things illuminated. And, and light is also other-oriented in that the power of light lies in how it illuminates everything around us. There's, a, there's an old saying that goes, the foolish traveler stares at the lightning, but the wise traveler stares at the illuminated path. There's not much value in staring at the light. It just hurts your eyes. The real value is in letting the light show you how to get to where you want to go. And so when we are a light to the world, that's what our job is too. It's helping people get to where God wants them to be. When we are one of the lights in the city on the hill, we're helping travelers get to where they want to be in a world where they would otherwise be alone and in the dark Now, a couple things about being light and being other-oriented with our light. Uh, We don't have to obsess about other people's sins uh, if we are the light. and Because we are the light. We don't have to worry about their darkness. the fact is, is that most people are already aware of their darkness. Most people are already aware of their flaws and their imperfections. They're oftentimes intimately aware of those things. In fact, what I have found is that most people are unaware of their light. Most people aren't in touch with their good features and their qualities, their, their positive qualities. And, and I think that that is a more fruitful um, kind of direction to go uh, with our light. When you are the light to the world, you don't have to think about or obsess about the darkness. You can just simply shine and and you can draw people out of darkness. And I think that's that's how uh, God wants us to be. The second principle that I want to look at is the importance of holding on to both salt and light. Now this is, uh, I'm a little kind of working this out right now, really right here on the stage. I'm still, in fact, I totally redid this last night, and so I don't know how this is going to go, but uh, it's been really helpful for me to think of it this way, and so I hope it's helpful for you also. But what I want to look at is how salt and light light relates to um, how we become who we want to be. Because I think when we become who we want to be uh, and and who God wants us to be, we have to be familiar with a couple things. We have to know where we currently are and we also have to understand what it looks like to be what God wants us to be. We have to understand the vision that we're pursuing or the destination that we're going toward. And what I want to argue is that salt has to do with orienting yourself around uh, knowing and accepting yourself and others where they currently are. And light has to do with knowing and orienting yourself around understanding where you want to go. And so salt tends to be all about kind of uh, authenticity about where you currently are and vulnerability and just honesty. And so it tends to be very emotional. Light tends to be idealistic and aspirational, and it tends to be more rational uh, because it's this, this ideal. It's this place that I, I would like to be. I'm not there yet, but that's where I want to go. And, um, and, and and so that's, that's another way to kind of look at this salt and light metaphor, and I want to kind of flush this out why I think it, it, it can be very valuable. First, though, I want to talk about how uh, we can a lot of times emphasize salt or light in our lives. And it's important, and I'm going to argue this, it's important that we embrace both. Because if we get trapped in only one, it, it a lot of times could be more destructive than helpful. And, um, and so to kind of show what this might look like, and again, like I said, I'm kind of working this out, so stick with me here. Uh, I want to talk about Scooby-Doo really quick. Because when I was in elementary school, I loved Scooby-Doo. And I would run home from the bus to make sure that I catch the beginning of Scooby-Doo. And if you're a Scooby-Doo aficionado, you know you have to watch the first couple minutes, otherwise the whole show doesn't make sense. So you gotta get there quick. And I would watch Scooby-Doo and it was great. And, um, and then I think like the Smurfs came on and then some superhero cartoon. And at some point, yeah, I watched a lot of TV. You know, this, I'm being honest, I had too much TV, yes, true. I also had detention, okay, that's me. But back to the TV. I would watch the cartoons and then at some point there was these black and white shows from like 100 years ago, you know. And from some ancient time there were these these shows like Leave It to Beaver and Father Knows Best and My Three Sons and things like that. And you know, I would watch some of those and uh leave it to beaver was probably the best uh, of those and and uh, but you know i couldn't really get into it that that much it it uh uh, it, it seemed like they were trying to like preach to me or something and it seemed like they were operating under this idea that you know we can help people be better people if we gave them good role models and if we offered pure and wholesome content and and so each of these shows they would sort of tell these stories that always worked up until some moral point, and and the the conflict in the story would always resolve with some little truth, like lying is bad, or uh, stealing hurts people, or um, success can lead to pride, and and these little kind of and these are really great points and good truths, and and these shows offered this little light like this, but it was just so hard to connect with the show. The show just came off so flat, you know? And and it just felt like the characters were phony. I mean, people aren't like this. People aren't like the Leave it to Beaver family. That's not what families are like. And, And so it just lacked that type of connection, and I didn't really get much on it. And what I learned early on, even though not explicitly, but I think what I picked up is that light on its own, there's sort of a thinness to it. Uh, it it lacks connection. It it lacks power. Uh, If you want to help people change, you need more than light. You need to understand that individual on a deeper level. And you've probably experienced this if you've ever received advice or if you've ever given advice. Maybe you've given advice and and people say, well, you know, that's easy for you to say. Or they might say, uh, you just don't understand. And when people say things like this, they're not they're not rejecting the validity of the light. What they're saying is that the light is not enough. You need more than light. You just don't understand. There's more there that, that you need to get at. Uh, and I think even on TV, you see that TV sort of started to figure this out. And and as TV evolved or devolved, however you want to look at it, uh, the characters in the show's Became more and more realistic and more and more authentic, and and the the philosophy changed. Where instead of offering positive role models, the new philosophy seemed to be that maybe growth doesn't come from emphasizing who we want to be and our ideals. Maybe growth comes from emphasizing who we actually are and getting to in touch with who we really are and that type of authenticity. and uh, And you can see this transition in this philosophy captured really well in the movie. Uh, Uh, It's called Walk the Line, and it's about Johnny Cash. And in this movie, Johnny Cash, he's looking for a record deal. And nobody knows him at this point. He hasn't sold a single record yet. And he finally gets a, a meeting with a producer, and he plays this gospel song for this producer. And this, oh man, this song—it's so corny, it's so cheesy. And in fact, the producer in the movie—he can't even handle it. He says, "Stop right there! Stop, 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 stop. This is horrible." He says, "I can't, I can't sell this. I, I need you to give me something that I can sell." And and so Johnny's like, "Well, what do you mean?" He says, well, "I need something like real." And he's like, well, this is real. I I, I believe in God. And the producer says, yeah, but I don't believe that you have the light in your heart like that. I don't believe that you're walking on cloud nine all the time. I don't believe that you don't have any doubts. I need something authentic. I need something that I can believe that you're a real person. And then the producer says this, it's those types of songs that actually save people. It's when you emphasize the salt, when you emphasize who you really are, that's what actually connects with people and saves people. Uh, And so I think that philosophy really kind of took over in our media because we somehow went from Leave It to Beaver and just a few short years later we had Al Bundy and Roseanne Barr and Homer Simpson and Peter Griffin from Family Guy. And it's like, this is totally different. This is not the same type of philosophy behind these shows. And and these new shows, they seem very relatable. You know, like I, I could totally see myself doing these things and and this captures what life is kind of like and uh, and they seem to basically be glorifying salt and uh, instead of kind of offering us these ideals, the kind of the best about us, these shows seem to emphasize the worst about us and they're a riot and they're so fun to watch and, and there's something that's a lot more funny and a lot more... Um, I don't know, powerful about this. And I can watch these shows and just have a total blast watching these shows. But it's interesting. They leave me with an impression that when you watch The Simpsons or Family Guy, there's this sense in which personal growth, spiritual growth, moral growth, it's not that important. It's not, maybe it's not even possible. And, and there's this sense in which I can watch hours of these shows and I could walk away totally unchanged, totally unchallenged. It, it, like it makes no difference in my life. And you see this in music also. Um, for, you know, and I'm guilty of this as well. You know, for, as much as I like, uh, you know, God, <laughs> I've spent my whole life pursuing God and, and theology, and 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 I consider you know my pursuit of God the most important thing in my life. And um, but when I listen to music. Most of the time I listen to secular music. Now, I'm not talking about worship music. Worship music is different because worship music is about praising God and that should be all light. But oftentimes what I found with Christian music that's meant to be like Christian media, like music that I'm supposed to relate to, I don't. I don't relate to it. A lot of Christian music... It's full of light, but there's not much salt there. And um, and so a lot of times I go to secular music. And secular music tends to be full of salt. Like I listen to secular music and I'm like, yeah, that's what life is like. That's what, I understand that, I get that, that connects with me. Uh, of course, the downside with secular music is that there's hardly any light. You can listen to hours and hours and hours of secular music and it doesn't really make you a better person. Uh, As much as it connects with you, it doesn't actually improve you. Melvin Udall in the movie As Good As It Gets has one of my favorite lines of all time. He says, I'm drowning here, and you're describing the water. (laughs) And I think that's what the experience of salt without light is like. It's this, yeah, you know exactly what I'm experiencing as I'm in the water here drowning, but you're not helping me get to shore, and that's what I really need. I need help getting to shore. There's something about having both salt and light that That is a lot more powerful than just having one or the other. In fact, having only one, a lot of times, I believe, can be a mask for spiritual problems or spiritual dysfunctions. So, for instance, if I'm like mostly all about salt, uh, you know, that is understanding and accepting myself and others exactly how they are, that's really great, but a lot of times that can be a mask for things like sloth or laziness or apathy. You know that, if you're slothful and apathetic, yeah, you accept things as they are, and look how spiritual I am in doing it. And, and, and so you see how that can kind of mask that, that problem. And so here's a good test. If you are around people and you feel uncomfortable with the fact that you're trying to improve and get better, or if you feel like you're being mocked and scoffed for your attempts to be a better person or a more godly person, if you feel like it's not okay to try hard, or if you feel embarrassed about your growth, the chances are you're surrounded with people or connected with people who lack light and who are emphasizing only salt. Likewise, light that is pursuing God's ideal for us, pursuing this this vision that God has for our lives and, and kind of pursuing that ideal, that's also really good and we need that. But by itself, that can also mask dysfunctions. That type of pursuit can uh, can be a great disguise for things like perfectionism or uh, judgmentalism or selfish ambition. And so if you are around people and you feel like it's not okay to screw up and it's not okay to disagree and it's, it's, it's dangerous to be vulnerable and to share your weaknesses or flaws, the chances are you're connected with people who are lacking in salt. And, and so both of these by themselves a lot of times can, can cover for a lot of dysfunction. This is why God calls us to be both. They're almost like a check and balance for each other. Um, God calls us to be both salt and light and we need to have both salt and light to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in us. First Timothy 1.5 says this. This is Paul's explanation for this. He says, the goal of this command is love. That's the ultimate goal of this, which comes from a good conscience and a sincere faith. That is, a good conscience oriented to the light and a sincere faith that is in touch with reality, salt. Learning to love in the way that God wants us to love requires both. And so we are called to be both. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the Bible, in which all of this stuff is revealed, overflows with both salt and light. There's all sorts of proclamations about God. There's all sorts of uh, visions cast about who God wants us to be and all of the ideals. Uh, but there's also a lot of salt in the Bible. There's also a lot of violence and, and betrayal and and rape and incest and all sorts of stuff the the bible kind of almost embraces this fact that the ideals by themselves are not enough we need more than ideals Uh, it's not enough to tell us how we should be it seems like people also need to know that we're understood as we are we need to know that we're understood as we are and also that God cares for us as we are. And the Bible has all of that. The Bible, you can't read the Bible without saying, yeah, that, that's how life is like. That is exactly how life is like. And, and, uh, and I think that's an important part of what God is doing in our lives. And I don't think it's a coincidence either that Jesus kind of represents the ultimate salt and light of God. Uh, John tells us that, that Jesus is the the uh, light of the world, but I think that Jesus is also the the salt of the world. Uh, Jesus is the light of God, and Jesus is also the salt of God, because in Jesus, God becomes fully human. And so in Jesus, God can fully experience what it's like to be human. And so he knows us as we are in this very intimate, deep way. And I think we need that. We need to know that God understands us how we are. But Jesus also suffered for us and he paid this uh, cosmically ultimate price for his love for us. And so we also know that God loves us and cares for us even as we are. And, and so the Bible and Jesus represents salt and light on a cosmic level in the heart of God and he calls us to be that same way. Um, I think this is part of Jesus' kind of criticism against the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, 4, he says this about the Pharisees. The Pharisees tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but the Pharisees are not willing to lift a finger to help anybody move these loads. Uh, The Pharisees, they overflowed with these high standards, with these vaunted expectations for how we should live, with these moral ideals. They had sound teaching, very sound teaching about how we're supposed to be in, in, in with God. Uh, but nothing that they did actually helped anybody. As right as their light might have been, it didn't change any hearts. There was no connection with people. Uh, they didn't seem to care about people as they were. They had no salt. Uh, the Pharisees took this light of God and turned it into a, uh, what's it called, um, an interrogation lamp that 's what it is it's, it's instead of using it to illuminate, they used it to criticize and to shame and to control and um, and and they failed and this is not i don 't want to just sit and pounce on the Pharisees because it 's tough uh, church leadership sort of offers these constraints that tend to favor light over salt uh, even in In giving sermons, sermons tend to lean toward light and away from salt. And if you think about it, you've probably experienced this yourself. If you've been to church for a while, you've probably heard a sermon or two on divorce, let's say. And in this sermon, I would bet that uh, the, the, the pastor talked about kind of what are the conditions in which divorce is okay and what are the conditions in which divorce is not okay. Uh, and that's sort of how people kind of preach about divorce. And that's, we need that. We need to know kind of what, what's God's vision for marriage and how does God accommodate for marriages that fail. Um, that's important. But I think what people need on a deeper level is they need support and guidance with dealing with the shame and trauma of their own personal divorce. And a lot of times these sermons don't even touch that at all. Uh, The sermons go right over the top of that. And the problem is is that as a pastor, if you're given a sermon, you can't, You can't give a sermon for each person, tailored to each person in the congregation. You just can't do that. we've we've got several thousand people. We we would never be able to do that. And and this is not to say that we shouldn't do sermons. It's just to point out that the kingdom of God and church can't just be about sermons. You need to have more than sermons in your spiritual walk. You need to have uh, relationships with other believers. You need to have house churches, small groups, spiritual friendships, Things like that. You need to have uh, communities where you're support, uh, supported both as you seek to be more godly, but also supported when you fail to be more godly. You need people who understand you so that you can walk toward the light together. Um, You know, uh, one of the ministries that we have here is called The Refuge. And uh, I I was drawn to The Refuge right away because The Refuge, really, it's built on this idea of salt and light. In fact, the tagline for The Refuge is that we are a community of grace and truth. That is, we are a community of salt and light is basically what it is. We're a community that strives to accept people exactly how they are and to love people exactly how they are. But not just be settled with that, not just be content with that. We also want to pursue who God wants us to be. And um, the bad news is, of course, COVID has totally disrupted so many ministries. And we used to meet on Thursdays and we would have a, a meal together where all these people from all these different walks of life, different, you know, economic, the strata and all that kind of stuff would come together. We'd share a meal together. We would sing songs together. There'd be a short message and then people would go off to their refuge groups. And uh, COVID sort of destroyed that. The good news though is that these groups are now offered online and so uh, if this vision of community and, and if this is something that appeals to you, please check out the Woodland Hills website and look for the refuge page and look for the groups that we offer because You know, you can join now from anywhere and we would love to have you and uh, uh, we would love to minister to you and also be ministered by you. Uh, The final kind of principle that I wanna look at is, um, I call it, we need to default to salt. It's true that we need to be both salt and light. God calls us to be both and, and when we lack one, things can get out of whack. But we should always start with salt. That should always be our beginning and that's exactly how Jesus started. Jesus always led with salt. He uh, uh, embraced people exactly how they were. He, he dines with the Pharisees. He mingles with prostitutes and, and hucksters. And uh, he welcomes these large crowds with open arms and he only asks, how can I help? How can I serve? He loves the loser with the same conviction that he loves the winner. He, just, he was absolutely salt all the time. And really, it was only when a person crossed a certain tipping point When they, I don't know, when they emerged out of the darkness just enough where they asked, can I follow you? It was only then that Jesus said, oh, you you want to follow me? Okay, well, this is what that means. And that's when he started to give what that meant. And that's where the light came and that's where the standards came. And, and Jesus never coerced or bullied people with the light. He always nurtured people with salt. He always salted people, salted people, salted people, not assaulted, he always salted people uh, so until they were ready for light. And I think that our eyes need to adjust to the light that Jesus teaches. And it's salt that helps our eyes adjust, I think. I think it's salt that strengthens us and fills us with hope so that at some point we can handle a little more light and a little more light. And I think I can prove this point. Uh, If you think about your own reading of the gospel, okay, if you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what gives you more hope as you're reading through these stories? Is it Jesus' commands that is light? or is it Peter's failures, that is, salt? Now, Jesus gives all these very important commands that you need to uh, love your your enemy. You need to turn the other cheek when you're struck. You need to to, uh, not look at people lustfully because even if you look at a person lustfully, you've already committed this heinous sin in your heart. And I read those things, and that's some bright light. And I look at that, and I don't know about you, but for me, that doesn't fill me with hope that fills me with a little dread. (laughs) Like, I don't know if I can live up to that standard, Uh, but when I read about Peter, and Peter, he, he bombastically claims that he's going to be loyal to Jesus and then literally like several lines later he's running and hiding at the first sign of danger uh, or he boldly steps out under the water to walk on the water with Jesus and then moments later he starts sinking and yet this same Peter, Jesus says, you are going to be the foundation of my church. Man, I read that and I'm like, If Peter can be the foundation of the church, well then maybe God can do something with the mess that is me. Uh, It's salt that that strengthens me and gives me hope so that I can pursue the light and think maybe the light that Jesus shares isn't out of my reach. Maybe it's something that is possible. It was possible for Peter, so maybe it is possible for me. God always leads with salt. Uh, But strangely, a lot of times Christians lead with light. A lot of times Christians only have light, they just come at you with light. And I think it's because Christians a lot of times think that it's light that changes people uh, in fact we have songs that say praise the Lord I saw the light and that it 's that mentality I think that that leads Christians to come at people with truth bombs and and uh, uh, Bible verses that are out of context of course and billboards and and protest signs and and arguments and memes now on social media that are all designed to humiliate people who disagree with them it 's just light 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 and i don 't know what the effect effect of all that stuff is. Maybe there's some good that comes out of some of that. I don't know. But I know that Jesus doesn't lead that way. I know that God always starts with salt. And I think that being salt and light means to start with salt also as we all work toward light together. Uh, you know, in a world <laughs> that's, that just loves people when they are at their best, uh, Romans tells us that God loved us when we were at our worst. And so I think that that's the direction we need to go. We need to love people even when they're at their worst. In fact, maybe especially when they're at their worst is when we need to love them. In a world that profits off of humiliating their enemies, God loved people even when our hearts were bent against him. And so I think we too ought to try to learn to love our enemies. Or at the very least, not always try to humiliate our enemies. Uh, God never holds our flaws or our imperfections against us. And so I think that we too should not hold other people's flaws or imperfections against them. Starting with light, I think, is what truly changes people. It's not starting, with, I'm sorry, starting with salt is what truly changes people. It's not starting with, with light. Um, there's an aphorism that, that uh, I think is true. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. And I think that's basically saying that you need to lead with salt. Uh, light comes later. Starting with salt really it's really just echoing what God has always been about, accepting people where they are at, meeting people where they are at. Uh, Greg has said many times that God does not coerce people. Uh, he, He always calls people, but he also always accommodates people where they're at. Uh, he tolerates us and maybe even adores us when we are just not there yet. And, and I think being salt and light means imitating God in that way, to, to tolerate people and to maybe even learn to adore people even if they're not there yet. Um, as I was preparing for this, uh, I, uh, I came upon Mark 9.50 and it, it really hit me. Jesus says, have salt in yourselves and then be at peace with one another. Uh, it's when we lead with salt, not light, that we find peace. And then we can actually benefit from that light. Um, I had to cut so much stuff out of this sermon. I hope it was coherent. I, 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 I feel like I just blew through it not knowing if any of it made sense because of all the holes that I cut out of it. So hopefully it made sense. But here's the thing is parts of the stuff that I cut out that I would really love to have shared with you here, I'm going to hopefully talk about it on the MuseCast on Tuesday at 4 o'clock. So look for the MuseCast on YouTube and, uh, and we'll kind of dig a little bit deeper into this message like we do every week. Uh, we also have these gathering groups on Tuesday evenings, and so check that out. And also, if you need prayer, and boy, this is a a year for prayer, Uh, we do have online prayer uh, opportunities as well, and you can see the link on the screen for that. Thank you so much for giving me your attention on this Thanksgiving weekend. I hope you have had a blessed weekend, and I I can't wait to see you in person soon. Uh, Have a great holiday if I don't see you until Christmas. Blessings, everybody.